Sabbath blessings. I welcome you, those who are joining us live over Facebook and uh, on YouTube. We welcome you this Holy Sabbath day. It's good to be together. We're about to get into uh, uh, a very encouraging study. I hope it's very encouraging uh, to all of us this morning. And before we do, we want to ask the Lord to be with us. So uh, let's bow our heads together and let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day that you created, especially uh, that we may come together and be with thee, gain a rest that we need from our labors, and rejoice with all heaven in your providence and care and love towards each and every one. We thank you so much uh, for sustaining us this past week, since last Sabbath, for being with us and caring for us, and keeping us safe, we thank you so much for providing for our needs, uh, the necessities, the temporal needs we need, but also the spiritual needs that we have. We ask humbly for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us, especially on this holy day. Uh, we pray also that uh, you'll be with those who couldn't be with us here this morning, be with those who may still be traveling, especially be near to those, Father, uh, who are suffering. Uh, we pray that you will heal them according to thy will. And uh, Father, we thank you for answered prayer. We ask humbly, Lord, that you forgive us our sins. We claim the blood that Jesus shed there at Calvary. And we pray that what we think and say and do, especially on this most holy day, will bring glory to thy name always. Please be with me now. Father, give me the words to speak. And may there be humble and open hearts to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, amen. Well, uh, beloved, in order for us uh, to be conquerors in the sin issue, and that's what we've been talking about for a good while, is the sin issue. Um, and, and all aspects of it, pretty much, we've been talking about it for a good while. In fact, friends, if you think about it, the entire Bible deals with the sin issue. So, you know, I could almost say every sermon I've preached has been about the sin issue. Uh, but in order for us to be conquerors in this issue and to endure to the end, and that's what we want to understand, isn't it? That's what we want to know. How can we endure to the end and be faithful when Jesus returns? And so, in order for us to do that, though we may have been segregated, you know, it's going to happen before Jesus comes. We will be segregated from family, from church, uh, church brethren. In fact, uh, we've been told that our former church brethren will be our most bitterest enemies. And that's just a sad, sad, very sad thing to think about. Uh, we will be segregated from society. But in order for us to be conquerors and to endure, we must keep walking in the light from God. Isn't that true? We, we need to be walking in the light. Keep walking in the light. And so I want to encourage you by speaking about uh, this subject of walking in the light. And uh, I have, of course, a lot to share with you, as I normally do. So let's start. Um, let's start in Genesis chapter 1. And this is where we get the description of creation week, the very beginning for us here on this earth. Let's go to Genesis 1. We'll start at the very first verse. <clears throat> and I always like this. Uh, I make a point of this a lot of times when I talk to those who, who are agnostic uh, or, or maybe atheists, and I always 
quote the very beginning of the beginning of verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God. And so that just slays the groundwork, doesn't it? In the beginning, God. God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, what was the, the thing that he said here? Verse 3, first thing, God said, let there be light. And what happened? He had to wait for certain things to go on, didn't he? No, immediately there was light. God said it, and there was light. Verse 4, and God saw the light, that it was good. Light is good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And so, at the outset, only darkness existed on this, this formless earth, a, a place where no life existed. But then there was a dramatic change that took place, wasn't there, with the entrance of light. And so... Without light, we see there's darkness. So without light, there could be no life. And as the Creator began the work of bringing order and, uh, and introducing various forms of, of plant and animal life upon the earth, uh, it was essential that there be light. You know, light is a visible form of energy. And by its very action... Um, on plants especially, it transforms inorganic elements and compounds into food for both man and animals, doesn't it? And it controls many other natural processes that are necessary to life. Now, I found it very interesting. I read just recently, uh, did you know that they have, have just recently, hasn't been very long ago, they've been able to take a robotic submarine into the deepest, darkest depth of the Atlantic Ocean. Did anybody else read anything like about that? It's amazing because you're going uh, more than a mile down. <laughs> yeah, that's a long way. Um, but this is a part of the ocean that has never been seen by modern mankind. It's never been seen before. And so they're exploring and they were completely stunned to discover creatures living in this deep, dark, cold recess of the Atlantic Ocean. And they found that these creatures have no color. They're all, they're all white. Some are almost transparent. But most of them are all white. And they have no eyes. They are totally blind. Which reminds me, you know, we... We went to, in southern Indiana, there's a Marengo Cave. And uh, some of us uh, from church and such, we went on a trip down there, went into this cave, and and uh, they, they have lights in the cave. They take you on a tour, and they took us in this big, it was almost like a huge room in this cave. The cave was huge. And they turned off the lights. And they made a point to say it wouldn't take very long for us to go completely blind without light. And here we have, they find these creatures down the bottom of this ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and they were totally blind. There, and there is no vegetation in that environment. 
there's nothing in that environment uh, um, for them to subsist because there's no light. They are so deep in this, this ocean, in the Atlantic Ocean, that no light gets down to that depth. And, and, and so the question is, how do these creatures exist? How do they exist? How can they live in a lifeless environment like this? Well, they discovered that all these creatures feed upon nutrients that fall from the life that lives so far above them where there is light. And if not for that light, friends, these creatures would cease to exist. And, and I bring this to your attention because there is a tremendous spiritual lesson in this, isn't there? Now, light originates with God. And it comes from heaven down to us. Those nutrients, that light that God sheds upon us has nutrients, spiritual nutrients, as well as physical, right? For us here on this dark earth. And so light originates with God. It's necessary for life to exist, physical life and spiritual life. Darkness is lifeless, for it is the absence of light and life, as this discovery in the Atlantic Ocean bears out. And it makes you wonder, you know, um, why is it that the devil will show himself as an angel of light and not an angel of darkness? Because, you know, if he revealed himself for what he truly is, that angel of darkness and death, I don't think there'd be too many souls that want anything to do with him. It would also prove that what God has said is true, wouldn't it? Now, the Apostle John says in 1 John 1 and verse 5, he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so God here, he creates the, the earth, and he says, let there be light, and he separates light from darkness, and he saw the light, and the light was good. So we can say darkness is bad, right? And here John is saying that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness. Now, consider that. Put that back in your mind here as we go along. In God, there is no darkness at all. And let's consider what Paul says in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did God do that? Well, he says in verse 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of who? The Son of God. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so he's talking about God has given these things, he's given light, he's given gifts, he's given all these things so that we can become like Jesus in character. He's given us the knowledge of the Son of God unto that perfect man so we can be like Jesus. And so for us to be like Jesus, in character, 
We must get to the point where there is no darkness in us at all. And the only way that this can be accomplished, friends, is if we continue walking in the light of Christ and overcome the sin issue. And so, you know, we must have that robe of light. You remember that robe of light that only Jesus can provide? That was that same robe of righteousness that Adam and Eve had, but lost when they sinned. And if we keep uh, uh, walking in the light of Christ, more and more light is given. And darkness will eventually cease to exist in us, as long as we keep walking in the light. And when we walk in the light, we're walking with Christ. Now, both the Old and the New Testament have a lot to say about walking in the light. Proverbs 4 and verse 18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Well, why does it shine more and more? Well, it doesn't become stagnant. We're always to be moving forward in God. You know, through all eternity we will be learning more and more about God through creation, through other, just like we do here. You know, We'll be learning more and more. That light will grow brighter and brighter. And that's what uh, the, the wise man is telling us here. A path, now it says, the path of the just, the path is a place where you walk, right? Isn't that true? As you walk that path, if you stay on it, the light's going to become brighter and brighter. But it's also true that if uh, uh, you don't keep walking on the path, the light's going to become darkness because the light's moving ahead of us. It keeps advancing, and if we stop, it doesn't stop. It keeps going ahead. Now, we want to advance with the light, don't we? Now, what is meant by light in the context of the Bible? We better clear that up, hadn't we? In Psalms 119 and 105, and this is very familiar to all of us, the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is light. The word of God is light. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them, set them apart as holy, make them holy. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. So God's word is light, God's word is truth. So in the Bible context, we can say that light is a representation of God's truth. Isn't that correct? Now the Bible talks about truth <laughs> quite a lot, but it also talks about present truth. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, here Peter says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Now what's he mean by that? Present truth. Well, there are certain things, uh, certain things that we find in Bible history and throughout the Bible that can be preached at one particular time that that are not relevant for another particular time on the pathway to the kingdom. Does that make sense? The light is advancing, and where it is at any particular time in prophetic history is considered to be present truth. Now, whenever I usually talk about this subject and we talk about present truth, um, 
and just truth in general um, and, and in the sin issue. Remember, our context is the sin issue. And when I speak about the sin issue, I inevitably get remarks about the sins that were committed in the Bible record, uh, especially the Old Testament, by godly men. And this is then used as an excuse for sin to be committed today. Well, they say, well, you know, David sinned, so, you know, it must be okay, you know. And, and they, the, 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 the argument goes, you know, well, these were devout men who committed such sins, so it shows that God allows it and it must be okay. Well, is that true? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's look at Abraham. And there are a lot of examples, but, but uh, this one just seemed to pop into my head. Uh, Abraham was married to Sarah. And Sarah was his only wife. Isn't that true? But because of her old age and a lack of faith in God's promise that she would give birth to the blessed heir, right? She encouraged Abraham to take Hagar as a wife because being younger, she could bear a child. Let's look at that. Genesis 16, verses 2 to 4. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now, this was ten years after that promise, see? And they're thinking, well, <laughs> getting up there in age, right? And he went in unto Hagar, this is verse 4, <clears throat> and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now let me ask you a question. This is Having more than one wife is called what? Polygamy, right? Right? Polygamy? Was polygamy okay with God? No. Now, many in the Old Testament, you read it over and over and over that it happened in the Old Testament. And I have people today that will, will defend it. They will say, well, of course you can be married to more than one wife. Now, let me ask you this question. Did Abraham and Sarah know that marriage was to be between a man and a woman, not a man and two or more women? Sure they did. They knew it. But they did it anyway, didn't they? Why did they do it anyway? Let me read something to you from a book called Daughters of God, page 28. It says here, Abraham had accepted without question the promise of a son, but he did not wait for God to fulfill his word in his own time and way. A delay was permitted to test his faith in the power of God. But he failed to endure the trial. Thinking it impossible that a child should be given in her, in her old age, Sarah suggested as a plan by which the divine purpose might be fulfilled that one of her handmaidens should be taken by Abraham as a secondary wife. Polygamy had become so widespread that it had ceased, notice this, it had ceased to be regarded as a sin. 
but it was no less a violation of the law of God and was fatal to the sacredness and peace of the family relation. Abraham's marriage with Hagar resulted in evil, not only to his own household, but to future generations. Now, friends, this, this is something that happens a lot as we deal with the sin issue. I mean, there may be sincere... I don't think anyone would say that Abraham was not faithful. In fact, that's one of the nicknames, is Faithful Abraham. Right? But you read some of these incidents and you say, wait a minute, you know, what happened here? And what I want to encourage you, I want to, say, I want to tell you that, that faith may be genuine and yet prove to be weak in moments of maybe stress or perplexity. Isn't that right? I mean, a vigorous faith, which is what we all want, <clears throat> but a vigorous faith, <clears throat> excuse me, will cling to the promise of God and to that alone, trusting entirely to God for its accomplishment. And that's the goal that we have for each one of us. We all want to, to have that kind of faith, don't we? And that was Abraham's faith, except as you read through the record, maybe three or four brief times throughout a long and eventful life and walking in the light of God where he stumbled. My point is that during that time in earth's history, polygamy, as the prophet said, had become so widespread that it had ceased to be regarded as a sin, though it has always been a sin. Now let me share this real quick. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 3, page 100. God has not sanctioned polygamy in a single instance. It was contrary to his will. He knew that the happiness of man would be destroyed by it. You know, but sometimes, and we've read, there are certain principles where we, God's people, we ask and ask and ask so much for stuff, God yields, and it can be to teach us a lesson. I think later on, uh, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, they learned very painful, heartaching lessons because of their lack of faith in the choices that they made. And that's the same for each and every one of us. One thing I don't want you to forget ever, even through all things, these kind of situations that, that happen to every one of us, God always has our best interest at heart. And He will work us through it. Amen? But you can see similar thing, kinds of things in the Bible record where it may appear that God sanctions a sin, but in reality it's allowed until faith gets to a point it can handle more light from God. You know, in John 16 and verse 12, <coughs> my goodness, excuse me. In John 16 and verse 12, remember what Jesus said? He's, he's speaking to his disciples. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. What's very important about that statement is that Jesus used the word now. Ye cannot bear them now. He didn't say, oh, I got many things I could tell you, but you'd never bear them. He said you can't bear them now. But there'll come a day and a time when you will be able to. And we talked about this before when we looked at the, the different kinds and degrees of sins. 
But you can see this principle of walking in the light because light is, is moving, always progressing ahead. Um, it's shown over and over again throughout Bible history. Uh, even in in our time, well, I say our time, but in you know the mid 1800s, uh, d- during the Great Advent Awakening, you can really see the progression of light as Jesus was on the move. He was on the move in heaven, wasn't he? In 1844, he Jesus went from the holy place to the most holy place in the sanctuary in heaven. Now, if you didn't progress with the light, where are you at? You're still in that first compartment. And a lot of Christians today are still there as they walk by faith. And we're told by the prophet that, you know, there's a false light now. As Jesus left, Satan comes in with a false light and people stay where they are, but they're under a false light. And who is that false light? It's Satan comes as an angel of light. And so it's very important, you see, for us to follow Jesus, to follow the light. And so we see here at that time his ministry duties changed. And it was time to begin the judgment. And as he ministers before the Ark of the Covenant, that covenant, that, that Ark that, that contains the Ten Commandments, those truths found in those Ten Commandments that had been lost in Protestantism are reintroduced to God's faithful people. They're, they're brought brightly before his faithful people who are walking in the light. And they walk step by step with the light being reintroduced to the immutability of God's holy law. It was present truth for them and is for us, isn't it? Amen. Especially the Sabbath truth. The light shone more brightly on the fourth commandment. And that's why, as we get here to the end of time, our battle with the beast is going to revolve around the commandment of God, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath issue. The ultimate issue is who is going to be your authority, the authority for life. But we're talking about present truth, right? And so, and a progression. And where where the light is in prophetic history, right there is that present truth. Let me ask you, did Noah preach the three angels' messages? Let me give you just another quick example. No, Noah didn't preach the three angels' messages. It was not present truth for his day. Noah preached a message about a worldwide flood. That was his present truth. And so that is where the light was at that time in history. Now, so there's no misunderstanding. There are some truths that are timeless in that they can be shared at any time. There are a lot of doctrines we find in the Bible that are truth no matter what time period you are in. But there is some truth that is present truth for a specific generation. Present truth today is not exactly the same as it was a thousand years ago. you believe that? I believe that, of course. The light of God is always advancing. It may be refracted or it may be reflected, but it's always advancing. Now, can... Considering present truth, <clears throat> do you realize that we are in a situation uh, very similar, a situation today that's very similar to that of the Jews during the time of Christ? You see, the devil had manipulated them into a situation through what they had been taught and what they had believed where they were ready, they were actually ready, and eventually they did, uh, reject the light of God. 
John chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And this is exactly where we find the professed church today, friends. When sin is in the church and it's pointed out, how does that church react? In many cases today, it doesn't react as the Bible says a reaction should be. Just as the Jews did when Christ walked among them. That's how that church reacts. They wanted to kill him. Just as his disciples as well, as they walked among them after Pentecost. They actually, the church, present church at that time, the professed church at that time, stoned Stephen, who was the last testimonial effort to bring them to repentance. Thinking about Stephen, the thought popped in my head. Have you ever wondered who will be today's Stephen to the fallen church? You ever think about that? I don't know why those such things like that come into my mind. But yeah, who's going to be the Stephen to the fallen church? Well, you know, the Bible speaks of that generation of 144,000, and they are the last generation that makes the call to the world for repentance and come to worship the true God. But considering the professed church, who's going to be that Stephen, that martyr that they stone? There will be martyrs before Jesus comes, friends. Notice what Jesus said about walking in the light in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John 12, verses 35 to 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. So if you're not walking in the light, if you step back a step, soon the light's two steps ahead of you, isn't it? And well, let's say you step back three steps, and so on, until what happens? Well, you'll be in the dark. People who were once in the light are now in the dark. But they, the thing is, Satan has stepped in with a false light, so they still think they're in the true light. The Jews thought they were still in the light but they were not in the light at all. And Jesus made it very plain to them that they were not in the light. Look at John 12, verse 46. He said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now what's Jesus say? If you don't believe, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're not in the light. You abide in darkness. Jesus came to, to enlighten the world. He is the light. And so they were in the dark, but they thought they were in the light. And if allowed, the devil can change your perception in, in such ways that you believe you're in the light while you're actually in the dark. And that's very dangerous, isn't it? Jesus said, walk while you have the light. And I say, step fast, because the light today is moving. We're coming down to the end. It's moving quickly. 
And if you don't step fast, you're going to be in the dark and you'll lose eternal salvation. Not even know it until it's too late. That's what I said. It's very dangerous. Jesus also said, well, you have the light, walk in it. Because if you don't, the darkness is going to overtake you and you will not even know where you're going. You'll think you're headed for the kingdom of heaven. But when Jesus comes, you're going to have the most awful, bitter shock of your life. You'll find out that you've lost, that you're lost, and it's too late. Because there's no third chance. We're living in our second chance now. And uh, it is a fact, as the prophet says, that only a small portion of those who now profess the truth will be sanctified by it and be saved. That's Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 608. So, friends, we must be advancing with the light, walking in the light, keep walking in the light, or we will be among those who are not saved. And so as we think about this in the context of the sin issue, and we had talked about uh, how a church in sin reacts and how we're to react towards them, let me ask you, if your church removes you from membership because you're walking in the light, I want to tell you, don't be discouraged by that. Many people get so discouraged, and it's hard because it's like a separation from your family. But don't get discouraged but continue to walk in the light. If you've been removed for following the truth, this is what I'm talking about, what does that tell you about the spiritual condition of that church? I see it more and more. It's happening more and more and more. And that's because the dividing line has been drawn by God. You know, and the church may say, just as the Jews, we're the remnant. We're the people of God. We have the history, the commandments, you know, the Jews had the spirit of prophecy. It was called the Old Testament. They had the sacred name. We're Israel. You know, we have missions and hospitals and schools and, and we do many wonderful things in Jesus' name. The Jews said that. You hear it today too, don't you? You know what Jesus said about that? This is what he said to the Jews. It's in Matthew 23, in particular, verse 15. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. So let me ask you, friends, will, have, will having all that history, name, the writings, etc., save one soul if they have not the light of God? No, it will not. And Jesus said as much. Matthew 7, verse 22. He said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Friends, we need to be founded upon a rock because there's a terrible storm coming. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And we're talking about light here. I want to say also that old light is not replaced by new light. Some tend to believe and teach that. Light never becomes old. Light of God. The light just becomes brighter as we walk, walk along the path. We read that in Proverbs. And we, we see the, class, the, the pathway more clearly. We see the truth more clearly. Like, for example, the sanctuary and its services in the Old Testament. People don't pay much attention to that. But that sheds light upon the ministry of Christ. Sometimes a person will say they have new light. But when you investigate it, you find that it's supposed new light doesn't brighten the old light, but does away with it in some way. And that's happening more and more today among God's professed people. And I, I will tell you to beware of those who declare they have new light that, that sheds away the old landmarks of our faith. In the book Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 161, it says, When the power of God testifies as to what is truth, that truth is to stand forever as the truth. No after-suppositions contrary to the light God has given are to be entertained. None. And there are still people who approach me and say, Oh, I got this new light about the Sabbath. It's not really that you keep a day. And many of you have heard this too. It's just that the Sabbath, you keep the Sabbath in Jesus. No, friends, there is a day. You'll never convince me otherwise. The Bible's plain about that. Or the Godhead issue. Had a fellow in, in Battle Creek that showed up and had hundreds of pages of quotes and scriptures, but he his premise was wrong. <laughs> and and that's, that's the thing. If you understand the truth and doctrine and you're settled in it, you'll be able to see that that a lot of these fanaticisms, their whole premise is wrong. You don't have to go through and study with him. You're not even to, as she says, no after suppositions contrary to life God is to be entertained. And she says men will arise with interpretations of Scripture which are to them truth, but which are not truth. The truth for this time God has given us as a foundation for our faith. He himself has taught us what is truth. One will arise, still another, with new light, which contradicts the light that God has given under the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We're not to entertain those things. But, beloved, if you turn your back on something that God has revealed through His Holy Spirit as the truth, He is not going to work a miracle to save you. Because He gives us the choice, doesn't He? You're just going to go into darkness and that... If, it, if you have no change, that'll be the end. You'll think you're following the light, though. The devil will provide his false light for you. But it's not going to lead you to the right place, is it? It's not going to lead you to the kingdom of God, but away from the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that the one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. He thinks he's going to heaven. He's not. But this concept, that spiritual light is moving and the person who does not keep walking in the light finds himself in the dark explains many spiritual um, 
phenomena, I'd say, that are happening all around us that otherwise would be very confusing. For example, sometimes when I talk about the subject of who and what the church is, straight from inspired sources, I'll get some severe reactions from, from different people uh, who profess to be in the Advent movement, mainly pastors and leaders, not so much the, uh, you know, uh, the laity. Now, I expect reactions and can understand some to a degree because sometimes it's very hard to accept. Uh, every one of us can relate to this. It's hard to accept that you're in error, right? But for many, uh, the defensiveness tends to be very extreme. You know, which reminds me, you know, today in our culture, aren't reactions from zero to 60? I mean, it's like very extreme right away. It seems to be in our culture more and more. <clears throat> but more times than not, I'll get assailed with something like, you know, do you believe that the, the Seventh-day Adventist church organization was ordained by God? Well, do you or don't you? You know, I don't even get a chance to say much. But, you know, as human beings, like I said, we tend to become very defensive when self has been offended in some way. We're all guilty of this, I believe, aren't we? And this shows us that we still have some darkness in us. And we must pick up our pace in advancing with the light and walking in the light. And, uh, and Jesus helps us. He removes the darkness, doesn't he? But let, let me ask you some questions concerning such a response like that. And this is how I respond in, in, in as gentle and uh, diplomatic, maybe, a way uh, that I can. Do you believe God organized the Jewish church or that he had a hand in setting that up? Was there a time when the Jews were in the light? Yes, there was. The Jews had been called by God, chosen as his special people to give light to the world. They had been in the light. They had, like I said, the, the Old Testament writings. That is the spirit of prophecy. But when the light moved, they didn't move with it. God had more light for them, but they would not accept it. In fact, the source of that light was in their midst, and they rejected so they stayed put. As a result, they were left in the dark because the light kept moving forward. And what eventually happened? Their darkness became so great that they killed the light. And that's going to be repeated in, in the form of God's people before the end, friends. And like I said, when the light moves forward, the devil steps in if you're just sitting there and he'll, he'll show you a false light. And so this is a very important principle that we, we need to come to grips with because faith is something that must continually be exercised. We need to keep walking in the light. And that keeps us alive in Christ. It helps us to overcome the sin issue. We are going to be exercising faith and walking the path where the light of God is shown. That's what we need to do. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, notice this. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me not he who sits with me. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And like I mentioned last time we were together, uh, I mentioned Revelation 14.4, that generation. You know, what it says about the 144,000. You know, God's last end time generation of people. 
It says, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. So when the light moves, and who is the light? We just read, Jesus says, I am the light. That generation of people follow the light. They follow him. So truth is progressive in that more and more of it is revealed. And they follow the truth of God. The problem today is that when the light moves, there are so many people who don't want to follow it. They just stay put. They become comfortable in believing, just as the Jews do to this day, the Jews still believe this, that they are the elect of God no matter what may happen. You see, they're settled in their station. But they're left in the dark, and this becomes spiritually blind to their condition. They think that they're hot, when in reality, they're lukewarm. There was a time when they were in the light, but the light moved, and they didn't move with it. And this has happened again and again through the ages, which should be teaching us, among other things, that with God there is no grand exception when it comes to his professed followers. God is no respecter of persons. And if you refuse to advance with the light he is shining, you'll be left in darkness. God, you know, one thing we, we should understand about God is he doesn't force. He doesn't coerce. He's not going to force you into the light. He's not going to come behind you and keep pushing you up the pathway. And he's not going to excuse you're not advancing with the light either. And speaking of this principle, notice what it says in Desire of Ages, page 232. And uh, we'll stay in on this page for a little while. But it says, as the light and life of men was rejected by the ecclesiastical authorities. Now, who's that? <laughs> That's the leaders of the church, isn't it? That's the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, right? So it says, as the light and life of men was rejected by the ecclesiastical authorities in the days of Christ, so it has been rejected in every succeeding generation. And I'll tell you, that's a powerful statement. You need to let that sink in. You know what the word every means? <laughs> this says that in every single succeeding generation after that of the time of Christ, the same thing has happened. Let's go on. She says, again and again, the history of Christ's withdrawal from Judea has been repeated. When the reformers preached the word of God, they had no thought of separating themselves from the established church, but the religious leaders would not tolerate the light. They wouldn't what? They wouldn't tolerate the light. What happened? The religious leaders would not walk in the light, and thus many of the people wouldn't walk in the light either. And then she goes on, she says, And those that bore it were forced to seek another class who were longing for the truth. So let me make an appeal to you, friends. We need to be honest with ourselves and, and know what our true condition is. As Otter said in the room just a moment ago, if I'm in darkness or if I'm in error, I want to know it so I can change before it's too late. I can pray for grace to overcome. But let me say to you, if you don't have in your heart right now a deep, earnest, sincere, longing love for the truth of God, if you're not willing to walk in the truth, go to your closet. Go to prayer. Say, Lord, please change my heart and give me a love for the truth. 
Take your Bible out. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Pray for the Holy Spirit to cultivate your heart to have a love for the truth. Because everyone who does not love the truth is going to be deceived and be lost. Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. If you don't love truth enough to live it, you don't love Him, no matter what you may profess. You're still in your sins. And these must be removed before Jesus stands up and professes probation closed. And we're getting to that time. I don't want to be... Uh, I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but time is running out, friends. Pray for a changed heart that loves the truth. Again, from Desire of Ages, page 232. In our day, few of the professed followers of the Reformers are actuated by their spirit. Few are listening for the voice of God and ready to accept truth in whatever guise it may be presented. Sometimes that keeps us from it. I've prayed many times, friends. Lord, help me to accept the truth however you choose to send it. And it's important because there are some who won't accept uh, the messenger God sends to give you truth. You know, there are many men who won't accept the truth that comes from a woman. And this was part of the trouble that Ellen White had to deal with in her day. Would you accept the truth if God sent it to you from a woman? Truth is truth. I want to know what it is, right? Amen? Would you accept the truth if God sent you a message through a child? I mean, have you ever thought, friends, that you don't get to choose how God is going to send you the truth? How God's going to send you the light? Back to Desire of Ages. Few are listening for the voice of God and ready to accept truth in whatever guise it may be presented. Often those who follow in the steps of the reformers are forced to turn away from the churches they love in order to declare the plain teaching of the word of God. Many times those who are seeking for light are by the same teaching obliged to leave the church of their fathers that they may render obedience. And that's obedience to God. Remember, what we read earlier, as the light and life of men was rejected by the ecclesiastical authorities in the days of Christ, so it has been re rejected in every succeeding generation. Did that rejection stop during the Reformation? Did it stop in the 1800s? Or is it possible for succeeding generations to reject truth? Is what the Desire of Ages says there on page 232 still true or not? Well, sadly it is. It's true. You see, when anyone rejects the light of truth that God has given his people, he's turned his back on the light and goes out in the darkness, as we've said. And so, you know, he may still, that person may still call himself a Christian, but if he doesn't believe the first angel's message, if he's living up to present truth, which current theologians have rejected, by denouncing the teaching of the investigative judgment that began there in 1844, well, that person has gone into darkness. And if he's a pastor or teacher, uh, you can't with safety go to his church or his class and listen to him preach or teach. 
when a person rejects the truth of the great, you know, the great day of atonement, which is part of the judgment, and says that instead of afflicting the soul, as the Bible tells us, that we're to be doing in our time, but instead says it's time to celebrate the unity of all faiths, they've gone into darkness, friends. If a preacher says that you'll sin until Jesus comes, he has accepted, as it says in Great Controversy, page 489, he has accepted Satan's fatal sophistry. And you better not go and listen to him preach. Unless you lest you be deceived and lose your own soul. And, and if you're hearing the same kinds of sermons in your Adventist church, friends, that you could hear in any fallen church of Protestantism, then you're endangering your soul if you don't either find a truth-loving congregation or start a home church where you, you can read and teach the truth at least to your own family. That's what the Reformers did. History is being repeated. And these are a few examples of those who stopped walking in the light. They stopped walking, but the light kept proceeding without them. It left them in darkness. Do you want to continue with the light, or do you want to stop walking? <clears throat> I want to continue to walk. Here's a quote from Early Writings, page 125. We have no time to throw away in listening to fables. Our minds should not be thus diverted, but should be occupied with the present truth and seeking wisdom that we may obtain a more thorough knowledge of our position, that with meekness we may be able to give a reason of our hope from the scriptures. While false doctrines and dangerous errors are pressed upon the mind, it cannot be dwelling upon the truth, which is to fit and prepare the house of Israel to stand in the day of the Lord. That's why, you know, that true witness comes and he settles us into the truth, you see. That's why we are to pray, to have a love for the truth. I'll tell you this. Every Sabbath after church services, you should be more fitted to stand in the day of the Lord than before. But I see too many who are being fitted each Sabbath to stand without a shelter, as the prophet says, when probation closes. And it's terribly sad. But what if we're currently in darkness, Pastor Joel? Is there any hope for us? Well, let's consider Israel at the time of Christ. Did the Jews have the spirit of prophecy? Yes, they did. They had scriptures. They had prophecy. But when the greatest prophet, the Elijah prophet, came to them, they rejected him, and the result was that they were not ready to accept the Messiah. Now, in spite of everything that had happened, they had been in apostasy for, for hundreds of years. If they had accepted the Elijah prophet, they would have turned around. Even with all that, God was still holding out and giving them hope if they would just turn around. We have an Elijah prophet, don't we? And if you'll accept the Elijah prophet, accept the what's given to us in the testimonies and read and study and obey it, will you be saved? God doesn't play games, friends. You believe that? If you follow instructions given in the spirit of prophecy, you'll be saved, friends. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 18. 
Brethren, cling to your Bible as it reads and stop your criticisms in regard to its validity and obey the word and not one of you will be lost. Amen and amen. I'll tell you, friends, the plan of salvation is big enough to save everyone in the world. But if you don't advance with the light and walk in the light and keep walking in the light, it's going to move and leave you in darkness. And this is what happened to the Jews. I mean, could it happen again? Well, we just read that it, it has happened in every generation. And it's dangerous not to keep up with the providence of God. You know, those of you who are Adventists, maybe you've read this, early in in uh, her experience, Ellen White saw a vision about this light. And you can read this vision. I'm not going to go through it because I'm running out of time here. But uh, you can read that this vision in her book that's entitled Early Writings. And, and it's on pages 15 to 20, around in that area. In several places in her writings, she speaks about the light that was set up at the beginning of the path that the Advent Company were traveling. And it's shown all the way up to the Holy City. And, and this path, friends, is, it's narrow. And if you, if you don't have light on the path, you're going to stumble and fall off. Now what was, I'll quiz you here a little bit, what was that light that was set up at the beginning? <clears throat> Anybody know? Well, she says it was the midnight cry. The devil knows that the midnight cry is the light set up at the beginning of the path, and he's been trying ever since the midnight cry uh, began to get us to reject it. He knows that if we reject it, we're going to stumble and fall off the path. And it's amazing to me how successful the devil's been in that. But let me mention a few things that are involved in the midnight cry. It is the cry that the bridegroom is coming. Is that important? Absolutely. You see, the midnight cry is based on the Bible prophecies of Daniel 8. In, uh, specifically, Daniel 8.14. Uh, it's, it deals with Daniel 9, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. The message of the 2300 days, the sanctuary and the investigative judgment, you see. Now, can you believe that there are Adventist teachers and preachers today who no longer believe in the light of the midnight cry? They don't believe the biblical message on the 2300 days and sanctuary and the investigative judgment? And let me tell you, if you're in that situation, you're in the dark. You've lost your way. The Lord's not going to work a miracle to save you. You've turned your back on the light. You've chosen darkness. And remember, when the Holy Spirit verifies what is light and what is truth, no after-suppositions are to be entertained contrary to that truth. We're not to get into discussions as to whether it's true or not when God says it's true. If the light of the midnight cry, if that message is not being preached in your church, I'm telling you, friends, your church is in the dark. If the light of the three angels' messages is not being preached in your church, your church is in the dark. If the light of the investigative judgment isn't being preached, your church is in the dark. If the light, and this is a very important one, if the light of the Elijah prophet, the spirit of prophecy, is not being preached in your church, sad to say, that your church is in the dark. It has not advanced with the light. And what about you? Are you keeping up with the light? Are you staying in the light? Are you walking in the light? The light of truth is advancing, friends. Are you aware that the road we're traveling is getting narrower too? Have you noticed it? 
People are being peeled off the path. Have you noticed? Groups that were once big are becoming smaller. The path is getting narrower. How are you going to stay on the path and keep up with the providence of God? Well, the only way is to have faith. The road's getting narrower, but the light is still moving. You know, what was present truth 20 or even 10 years ago is not present truth today. And you and I must keep walking with that light. We must be faithful to the truth that God reveals to us through His Word. You must decide that you're going to walk in the light no matter what your wife, your husband, your parents, your children, your church, or anyone else does. You have to make an individual decision to keep walking in the light, friends. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it would be wonderful if your wife or your husband or others you know, in your family and your church would decide to walk in the light too. You could walk together. But there are going to be people who, if they're going to go to heaven, friends, will have to decide to go alone. And that's a hard decision for us human beings to make. But you're, you have to decide that you're going to walk in the light no matter what because of some of, the, some of your dearest friends or some of your family may fall off the path. And once they fall off the path and go out into darkness, they're not going to be able to comprehend you at all. Beloved, is it, it's worth it. It's worth it to endure whatever you must go through to be in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. No, beloved, I say this reverently. And I say this advisedly. Your relationship to Jesus is to be closer than your relationship with your wife or your husband or any other person in this world. Jesus is all you need in this world or the next one for that matter. That is true Christianity. If you have Jesus, you have everything. If you're going to stay on the path until the end, if you're going to walk in the light, you must develop faith. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith come, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to have faith that will take you through to the end, well, you've got to be studying your Bible every day, friends. Plead with the Lord. Ask Him to give you the ISAB so that you will be able to understand spiritual things. First Corinthians 2, verse 14, Paul says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And unless the Holy Spirit enlightens your mind, you can read and memorize the Bible, still not be in the light. But we need to walk in the light that the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And you also have to obey that light that you see. second friends oh, thank you BC for doing that see the devil don't like the truth being out there he don't like the light being shown <laughs> to be following the Lord you have to be studying the Bible and the Holy Spirit is to teach you the spiritual meaning of what you're seeing and you have to obey what's been revealed that's where we run into the problems isn't it is in obeying. But this will make you a conqueror over the sin issue. 
There is a gold mine of truth in the Bible, and if we will get on our knees and pray and study and memorize it, the Bible says the result will be that we're going to have faith that endures. Notice this, Christian Education, page 133. I even put this in the church bulletin. <clears throat> she says, Men are sleeping in their graves that the Lord would have had live. They destroyed themselves through lack of knowledge. On many points they were instructed and yet failed to carry out the instruction given them. But let us become enlightened Christians, walking in the light and overcoming every defect that we may reap reward in this life and gain the life eternal hereafter. They had, they, they had a lack of knowledge because they stopped walking in the light. And they lost their life sooner than God would have had them. Are we doing that? Notice Matthew 17, verses 19. I'm going to try to wrap it up here. Matthew 17, begin with verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind, and he was talking about the possessed uh, child, howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. That's what I, the point I want to make. How much praying are we doing? How much fasting are we doing? If we want to go through to the end, we're going to have to become people of prayer and fasting. And though our bread and water will be sure, there will be times where we will go hungry, friends. And you can pray when you, you know, it's not, as C.D. Brooks always used to say, prayer is not posture. You can pray while driving your car. You can pray while you're in a business, you know, uh, transaction or during your work. But you especially need quiet time alone with God in prayer when every other voice is hushed. That's why Jesus uh, described it as a closet. And fasting, fasting clears the mind for meditation and, and prayer. And I don't think we fast often enough as a people, but this canon must be corrected. Amen? Taking a Sabbath day to fast, study, and pray would give us increased faith, I believe. Here's one more principle that will help to uh, keep... Help us to keep walking in the light. Desire of Ages, page 825. Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes and faith grows dim. So we must not only study our Bible, fast and pray, but we must be actively involved in reaching souls for the kingdom and spreading the gospel in finding their need and filling it and introducing them to Jesus and lifting him up. And if we're not witnessing, what's going to happen is our faith is going to grow dim and we'll lose hold from that light of above and we'll stop our walk. Do you want to have light from above and advance on the path to the end, friends? I do. Do you want to be a conqueror over the sin issue? It'll take a miracle to remove all the darkness from our life. But God is the miracle worker. Are you willing to be the to let the light of Jesus shine in you, removing the darkness by having complete faith in Him? 
Jesus said in Luke 11:36, If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no uh, part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Friends, may we always keep walking in the light until that day when our whole body shall be overflowing in the brightness of God's love. You know, on that day, as the Bible says, we will then see Him as He is, and we will live forever with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much again for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for Jesus, the light uh, to men, the light to all of us, the light of God. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, cultivate within our hearts a love for this truth, a love for light. May we be given the courage to endure and to keep walking in the light, though those close to us may forsake us. Please continue to be with us. Forgive us our sins, Lord. As the man said, I believe, help thou our unbelief. We wish to be in the kingdom because we love Jesus. Help us, Lord, to that end. We pray in Jesus' name.